And I think that's it. So uh, Mark chapter 5 today is where we are. Continuing through the gospel of Mark. And if you remember in chapter 4, uh, Jesus was teaching the crowds there, and the crowds were large enough that he gets into a boat, teaches from the, the boat, and uh, begins to teach in parables. And we've spent the last couple weeks talking about those parables and the importance of them. Um, but then at the end of that teaching, when, he, when he's all done, he tells the disciples, let's go over to the other side, meaning the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, last week talked about some of the importance of the area that they were going to, of uh, Gadaria. It's called a couple different names in the, the Gospels. So Gennesaret, Gadaria, uh, Gerizim, or something like that. It's a couple different names. And uh, historically and archaeologically, they have found that that region was uh, a very bad place. That it was uh, known, first of all, for a illegal activity that people who were just involved in trafficking, any kind of crime or, you know, whatever, that was a place to hang out because they could kind of blend in with all the other criminals. Uh, but it was also the last stronghold of the worship of Baal. And that, that plague, that false religion that's throughout most of the Old Testament and plaguing Israel, this was the last stronghold. And there they would, instead of sacrificing people, as they did in the Old Testament, uh, they would sacrifice pigs. And it was known by everyone in Israel to just be an evil place filled with sin and witchcraft, and it was avoided by everybody. So when Jesus says, hey, let's go over to the other side, the disciples were probably very hesitant. And then this storm arises. And it's not just a little storm. Again, these, at least four of these guys were fishermen, and even they are panicking because the water is coming in the boat. Jesus, however, sound asleep in the front of the boat, trusting in his father, knowing that nothing is going to go wrong, but his disciples are freaking out, so much so that the question they ask is, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? And, and so the Lord arises, and he speaks to the water, speaks to the seas, and they calm, and he rebukes the wind, which is different and, and could point to the fact that maybe there was some sort of demonic activity behind it. It's only a possibility. But um, he questions, or his question to them, it kind of links their fear and their lack of faith. And, and as I mentioned last week, it isn't that we are to somehow enter this place where we just simply don't have fear. Uh, I've heard people teach that. There's no room for fear or, and faith. It's got to be one or the other. And I don't think that's true. I think that we will always have, or for the most part, we will have fear, but what are we allowing to rule us? Because I think true faith is when you do have fear, but you choose to stand on the word of God instead. When you know that there's possibility of failure or death or persecution or whatever it might be, there's a fear of what could happen, but you say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you instead of trusting my fear. Now, chapter 5 picks up immediately after that, when they arrive in the area or on the shores of Gadaria, where, uh, again, there's something about this story. Every time I read it, I just fall more in love with Jesus. Because 
I think this is a great insight into his character. And I, I, I think all scripture is, and he, you know, Jesus is on every page of the Bible. I don't always see him, but he's always there. But there are those other times where it's so obvious that you're like, Lord, you are good. This is the Jesus that we serve. And, and I think this is such a great picture because, again, Jesus has been teaching the crowds. He's been teaching the groups. And his popularity has grown. And, and he has left that group to go after one person. And as we'll see, this one person is as lost as lost gets. But Jesus knows his situation and is moved with compassion to leave everything else to come after him. So, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have such great love and such great patience with us. We pray that you'd teach us today. That we wouldn't just take in an interesting story from the Bible, but that, Holy Spirit, you would apply these things to our life. That we would be changed and that we would come to know you more and more today as we study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So chapter 5, verse 1. And we're just going to go halfway through the chapter today. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. And he said to him, because, excuse me, for he had said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. As soon as Jesus is out of the boat, uh, Legion shows up, and uh, we get this kind of overview of what's happened to Legion. We don't know how long this has been. We don't know the state that he's been in, how long, we get an idea of the state he's been in, but we don't know how long, whether it's years or, uh, you know, decades. But if you look at all the Gospels, just like most times, if, if there's a story that occurs multiple times in the Gospels, you get a better idea, and, and this one is the same. So Matthew records that there was another demon-possessed man there as well. And some people go, well, was it one or two? And the thing is, is, in both stories, Legion is the focus of the story. And so even though there may have been two there, not everyone is mentioned, right? The focus is on Legion. Just like if you went to a party and you're like, oh, guess what? I went to a party and Kanye West was there. Well, there was probably other people there too, but he's the one that everyone's going to go, no, right? Well, in the same way, the, the story of Legion was something that certainly everyone in that area knew. And, and after that would spread quickly. So Legion is the focus. Um, and again, this is, 
I, I think trying to get an idea of, of how low this guy is is important. Because again, we could go, okay, this is a demon-possessed guy. We've seen other demon-possessed people and, and everything. But, but keep in mind, this is a person, not only is he in a tough spot, he is living in an area known for evil and wickedness and witchcraft and false idol worship and just sin. And among all of those people in that area, he is the worst. That even people in that area are like, we don't want anything to do with that guy. He's too far gone. And so, literally the worst. And, uh, and they've tried to deal with him, the people in that area. They've tried to, to chain him. They've tried to subdue him. Uh, and not just every once in a while. Verse 4 tells us, Often he was chained. Often he was bound with shackles. This was an ongoing problem. The people in the area got to do something. The other Gospels tell us that he was so bad, no one could even travel in that region for fear of him and what he might do. He had supernatural strength. He was able to break chains and, and smash the shackles. And so, though they had tried often to deal with him, he could not be bound. He could not be tamed. He was the worst. And we also see his torment. And I think, again, I think it would have been a different thing to actually come across this guy before Jesus is on the scene. He would have been terrifying. But as we read about it now, we can see that it isn't just that he's big and scary and and mean, that he is tormented. That the things that are going on in his life are continual. Some of the other uh, cases of demon possession that are talked about in the scripture are, are almost like fits, where somebody uh, is fine, and then the demon comes upon them, casts them into the fire, or does something horrible to them, and then is subdued again, or is gone at least, uh, loses its strength over them. That's not the case with this guy. It is day and night, is what verse 5 tells us. That he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. You would have heard this guy's voice through the mountainside crying out. It would have been horrifying. And it's, it's anguish. It's torment. He is punishing himself, cutting himself with stones. And it wasn't just occasionally. It was always day and night. Um, again, it's, it's a terrible, heartbreaking situation that this guy is in. Though many people had heard his cries, nobody heard it and, and thought of mercy. Nobody heard his cries and thought, that guy needs some help. They thought he was a problem. They thought he needed to be dealt with. But Jesus was the one that heard his cries and went, I'm going to do something about it. Clear from the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus went, we have an appointment. And th- so he puts the boys in the boat, and they have come here for this one guy. Now, I think Mark does a great job of showing how this kind of unravels or how, how this scene takes place. Uh, but it, we can read through it quickly and, and miss it. I think this is an intense scene. I think for the disciples that were there, it would have been terrifying. I think if somebody were to capture just the essence of it in a movie, it would be almost a horror film of what's going on. Yet Jesus is unshaken by it all. Um, and I think one of the big components about what makes it so intense is that Jesus is having a conversation with two groups. He's talking with the man, but he's also talking with the demons. And uh, when 
Jesus is, is talking with the man, his responses are singular. My name is Legion. But when it's the demons, it's plural. We, us, our. And so you see the desperation of the man and you hear the hatred of the demons. And it's this one conversation that Jesus is having. And I, I think one of the things that shows is the desperation of this man. And again, some of this is conjecture, so you guys just kind of take it as you will. But this is how I, I think the scriptures are, are backing up how this thing is unfolding. Um, and the reason that I think this man was so desperate is that verse 6 says that he saw Jesus from afar and ran and worshipped him. So as bad as the situation that this guy is in, the only understanding of Jesus that he has is what the demons inside him are telling him. And they're saying, that's the Son of God. He's here to torment us. He, he's here to deal with us. We're all in a bunch of trouble. And this guy knows enough to say, this is the one hope I have. He saw Jesus afar off. Probably when the boat was coming across, he sees Jesus. And he's got lots of time to leave. He could have run the other direction. But instead, he risks it all, not knowing what's going to happen. And he throws himself down and worships before the Lord. And I think it was a desperate cry for help. And I think understanding that, that he falls in this desperate type of worship, tells us the tone that's used there in verse 7. Where he says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, you do not torment me. Now, you could hear that in an angry way, right? And he could come across almost like, hey, what are you doing here? I didn't want you here. You know, have you come here to, to harm me? And, and possibly that, that was it. Again, I guess that's the part of conjecture here. But I, I don't think that was it at all. Because I think it's also very understandable if what he's saying is, what have I to do with you is with the idea of who am I to be in your presence? Why have you come here for me? Why have you allowed me to be in your presence? Right? This guy knows his situation, but he also knows who Jesus is. He is the son of the most high God. He knows his power, but I believe he also knows that he is worthy of punishment. He is worthy of torment. And so when he's saying, um, I implore you by God, again, that's, that's a, I'm begging you, don't torment me. I'm begging you in the goodness of God to not torment me. Again, it's, it's, it's one hope is in Jesus. And I think he's probably terrified, but he's still going before the Lord. Now again, the demons are probably doing everything they can to get away. Too late. They're right there in front of Jesus. They are also terrified. And, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus created them. He created them as angels in heaven. Every one of these demons, no matter how many it might be, he knows them all by name. He was, the day, he was there the day they were created in heaven. He knew the purpose that he had for them before God. And he was there the day that they rebelled and were cast out of heaven. He knows them all. And they know who he is as well. 
In verse, and, and he's made it clear why he's there. He's there to deliver this guy. He's there to cast them out. And so in verse 9 it says, And then he asked them, or he asked him, What is your name? And he answered saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now until now, the man's responses, is the things he said to Jesus are singular. Right? My name is Legion. And then the demons respond, For we are many. And we don't know how many. Now, a Roman legion, technically, is uh, 6,000 men. Now, it doesn't mean that there were 6,000 demons, because it was also real common to use that term just to mean a whole lot, right? If someone asked you, how much ice cream did you eat? A ton. Then you'd be dead, right? Well, we understand. It's, it, you know that it's not a ton. It's just it's a whole lot. And so it's the same kind of thing. But there's a lot of demons inside of this guy. And verse 10, uh, it, it sounds, it's a little confusing because of the way that it's translated. And he says, uh, and he also begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Well, country could just mean the region that they were in, right? The, de the demons had a thing going there. They didn't want to lose momentum or whatever, so don't cast us out of this region. But it's more likely uh, that word for country is a very broad term. So it can mean anything from a small you know, region of land to the entire world. And it makes more sense that what they're saying is, don't cast us out of the world. In Matthew, they beg that it, he would not cast them into the abyss. And that has the same meaning. That they would not be thrown into that place that's a stronghold or a, a holding place for demons. And eventually uh, for the devil during, uh, part of, during the millennium. Uh, and again, I think that's what's being said here. It's what they're asking, that they don't want to be put into that place. But it makes me ask the question, why didn't Jesus just lock him up? I mean, he's got the power. They know he's got the power. He will eventually lock Satan up there. Other demons are locked up there even now. Why, why isn't Jesus just going around casting out demons and then casting them into the abyss and locking them down? Well, I think this is one of those things that uh, it's a little bit hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's, it's maybe something that we don't like to, to think about, but uh, demons and the devil himself are being used for a purpose, whether they like it or not. And that there is a timing to that purpose, and there is a timing to their judgment. And, and while they cause a lot of temptation and destruction, they serve the same purpose that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil served in the garden. They give mankind a choice of who they will serve. They can serve God or they can serve evil. And the enemy is being used to allow people to have that choice. Now, again, there's a timing to it. And that purpose is going to be fulfilled. And they will eventually be judged for the things that they have done. Um, but this is not that day. And so Jesus is not going to send them into the abyss. Now, verse 11 goes on. It says, Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. And so all the demons begged him, saying, 
Send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd of And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might go with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis and all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, to me, this is, <laughs> again, no matter how many times I ever eat it, the demons requesting to be sent into the swine is like the most random thing. I don't, why would they even think of something like that? And it's just weird, and, and I always find it so strange because Jesus knew what was going to happen, right? He's like, okay, I'm going to let you go on these pigs. You're going to kill the pigs, and you guys are going to be free to go cause trouble again. Why would Jesus even allow that? Well, I think uh, there's a couple different reasons. I, uh, Jesus is multitasking here. He's taking care of several things at once. Um, and I think there's uh, a couple interesting things that we see First of all, they have to ask for permission. As, as big and scary as they try and come off, as demons, a demonic activity, the devil himself, they can't do anything without Jesus' permission. And if, he, if they need permission to go into some pigs that are not eternal, they need to get permission to mess with his kids. I know a lot of people that get very obsessed with demonic activity and, and what demons are doing and what the demons' names are and, and, and all of these things. You know what? We just need to focus on Jesus. I don't think we should be ignorant of the devices of the enemy. I don't think that we should be ignorant that, yes, temptation comes our way and, yes, he, he's out for our destruction. But when it comes to how to deal with the enemy, it's about us getting closer to Jesus and letting him deal with the enemy, right? In, in this case, again, they have to get permission to do even this weird little thing that they, <laughs> that they do. And the second is, is it reveals their true nature. They are only about destruction. And, and we know that, right? That's not a big shock. You're like, oh, really? Is that what demons are about? The devil himself, their leader, in John 10, Jesus says, only can kill, steal, and destroy. It's all he can do. And these demons are doing the same thing. I think it's important for us to, to know that, to keep that in the front of our mind. Again, not because of spiritual warfare or what we have to do, but to, to realize this is how the, our world is being completely led astray. Is the demonic activity, supernatural activity, are seen as some great power to harness. But its end goal is destruction. These guys 
these demons had no choice but to kill these pigs because it's all they know how to do. They had spent years tormenting this poor man. And again, I wonder, what was this guy's state beforehand? Who was he before all of this happened to him? What were the lies that they sold him? What was the bill of goods that they tried to sell him on to get him to this broken, terrible, low state? But their goal was always the same, to torment him, to destroy him. And the only hope that he has is Jesus. He's the only one that can bring someone back from this place. Again, it's just what they do. It's who they are. And as I said, Jesus is solving a couple different problems by allowing this thing to all happen. First of all, he's delivering the man, right? So his goal is not to bring justice on demons at this point. That's going to happen later. His goal is to set this guy free. That in all of his torment, in all of his difficulty, Jesus has come all the way over for this one guy. And he won't be distracted from that. So he is setting this guy free. But he is also um, dealing with the illegal raising of pigs. Pigs aren't allowed. And, and these, they're all being raised in this area. And again, we don't know for sure because Scripture doesn't tell us. But there's a pretty good chance that these are the pigs owned by the people of the town collectively to sacrifice to Baal. And so Jesus is showing his absolute total authority over this false god that they worship. And that he is stealing that sacrifice. I love that. <laughs> you know, it's awesome. And it also kind of explains or confirms the response of the townspeople. Verse 15 says, When they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, sitting and clothed in his right mind. So he was not clothed or in his right mind before, and now he is. And the response is, and they were afraid. Again, this is the guy that they tried to dealt with, deal with over and over again. They tried to bind him. They tried to tame him, somehow subdue him. They couldn't do it. And they show up, and you'd think they'd be like, this is great. Wow. Tony, how are you, man? You know, I mean, whatever his real name was. And, and, and he's been set free. And then you'd think the next thing would be, man, if Jesus can do that, what else can he do? Who else in our, in our region, in our town, in my family, could he heal? And that is not their response at all. They see this guy delivered in his right mind, and their entire world, their whole belief structure is shaken. And they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And they beg him to leave. Blows my mind every time. These guys, these people were more comfortable with a demonically possessed person terrorizing them than to have Jesus. They'd rather have the problem. They'd rather have the torment and the tormented person rather than the one that could set them free. A dangerous man is no longer dangerous and it terrifies them. They began to plead, verse 17, with him, to depart from their region. Now, again, it's so crazy to think that they're fine with this poor oppressed man. But at the same time, and I'm, ta I'm talking about the townspeople now, I think they're a good example. Actually, Legion and the townspeople are a bit of a contrast. 
Because we've all known people in, in those two, these two categories. We've known the person that is just the wretched, broken sinner and is so lost and is so messed up that they don't even know up and down. And we've seen Jesus come and find them and heal them. And I know I've told this story before, but when, uh, when I worked construction in, in uh, Central Oregon, we had a very diverse crew of uh, guys that were at this company, and, and one of the guys was just the meanest person I've ever worked with. Just insulting, just no matter what, he always had some filthy thing to say, and we called him Dirty Dave. And Dirty Dave was horrible. And he and I would argue and fight, and he was just belittling, and, and I remember thinking, that guy is never going to get saved. He knew that I was a Christian, so that was one of the things that he would just blast me on every single time we had a, a conversation. And then I'd quit that company, went to work for a few other companies, and then I ran into Dave uh, in, in town. And I was like, Dave, what's up, man? How are you? And he's like, I got saved. <laughs> and his story was amazing. There was actually his three-year-old daughter that led him to the Lord. And just broke his heart. And uh, he was just like, I, can't, I couldn't fight him anymore. And so he goes, instead of there being cases of beer and packs of cigarettes on my, on my dining room table, now it's Bibles and, and, and Bible study tapes. And, and me and my whole family are just fired up about Jesus. Right? So we've known, hopefully we've all seen that kind of conversion where we're like, wow, I didn't think that person would ever get saved. And I think that's what Legion is a great picture of. Right? The lost and the broken. But, but I think there's this other kind of in contrast to him, are the townspeople. They're not as bad as Legion in their own minds, but they're still just as lost. They're still just as wicked. They're still just as miserable. And when the opportunity to ask Jesus into their lives, they're like, no, I, I don't want that. I don't want to change. That they're more comfortable in their misery than they are with the idea of letting Jesus change them. And that's heartbreaking. Again, we've all known that person as well, that they are miserable and, and they're weighed down and they're just, their life, whole life seems like a burden. And you're like, man, Jesus has new life for you. But he, he's going to want to change me. And, and I always want to laugh. It's like, yeah, but you need it, right? I mean, don't we all need to be changed? Don't, you don't want to be the same person, do you? Yeah, yeah, I want to be just who I am. No matter how miserable they are. And so I think we see both things here. And again, we've, we've known those people. They have seen the miraculous work of Jesus Christ in other people's lives. And when the opportunity is given to them, they're like, no. They beg Jesus to leave that region. They don't want him anywhere around. Now, again, they ask Jesus to leave, and he just goes, okay. <laughs> there's no argument he's not like well i'm gonna go into decapolis for a while or i'm gonna cruise around the shore i'm gonna he's just like nope i've accomplished what i came here to do and if you guys don't want what i have bye and he gets in the boat but before he leaves the man who was demon possessed begs to go with him and again this is this is an interesting thing to me because there were other times like jesus speaking to the rich young ruler and he says go sell all you have and come and follow me and he couldn't, right? This is almost the opposite of that, where the guy's going, please take me with you. Please let me follow you. Let me be your disciple. And, and Jesus says, no, 
And you're like, really? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you want this guy as part of the team? And he says, no, instead, go and tell all of your friends. Go home and tell your friends all of the good things that God has done for you. Man. And again, while I think we can think of the extremes, we can look at the people that were the, the worst sinner in the lowest place, or we can look at the people that think they're good enough and they don't want to change or whatever. I think it's also important that we understand these things are still true for us, not just when we got saved, right? Because we can look at our life and go, yeah, I, in a lot of ways I relate with Legion. I understand where he was at because I was in a low place when I got saved. But I think we also need to remember that Jesus still wants to meet us in those other places in our lives where we're like, I just feel like I'm not making any progress. I feel like, like I, I keep stumbling in these same areas. I just haven't seen the deliverance I was hoping to see. He wants to meet us right where we're at and deliver us. And, and, and when we see those times of deliverance, so we see those times of close connection, right? We get those mountaintop experiences with the Lord. Maybe sometimes we're just reading the word and something jumps out and just we're so excited or the Holy Spirit moves on us in a way that we're like, Lord, this is the best. And in the same way, like Legion, we're like, don't let me go anywhere else. I want to stay right here on this mountaintop with you. I want to stay right in this good place where I'm getting to know you better. And I think the Lord always tells us the same thing. No, I want you to go home and I want you to tell your friends. You know, that's our job now. Not just the day we got saved. Not just about when we were delivered like legion, but when the Lord has continued to meet us. When the Lord has continued to reveal who he is and show his character to us. Man, we get to be the ones to go and proclaim the great things that the Lord has done and the compassion that he has had on us. And, uh, and that's my prayer, is that this week we will have an opportunity, each and every one of us have the opportunities to say, hey, let me tell you of the good things that the Lord has done. Let me tell you the great compassion that he has had on an unworthy person. And uh, that we would be those getting to go out and, and speak life to the legions that are still out there. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, again, we're so grateful for your patience with us, for your compassion on us. God, that, that you continue to grow us up and, and conform us into your likeness. God, we've got a, so far to go, and just thank you that you don't give up on us. But we pray you would give us opportunity to, to speak life to somebody else, to give hope to somebody that doesn't think that they will ever find hope. Legion wasn't looking for you. You came looking for him. And I pray that we would be those to be able to, to bring you to some, someone so without hope. God, have your way in us. We give you ourselves, and we give you our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I could.